Welcome to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast, where we have great conversations with unity-minded Christians. Our goal is to encourage unity of the Spirit within the Stone Campbell Movement and beyond. We believe unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and join us as we seek to fulfill Jesus' prayer that we may all be one. And now... Here are your co-hosts. Welcome back, everyone, to another podcast of our Common Grounds Unity Group. We're so glad that you joined us, and we have got an exciting conversation that I think is going to fuel joy in your heart as we introduce our guest in just a couple of moments. I'm Kevin Witham. Uh, the host of Common Grounds Unity, and I've got with me today a guest co-host that I want to introduce to you, and it's his first time with us, Mitch Mitchell. Mitch is a preacher, teacher, life coach, mediator. He attended Freed Hardeman College, graduated from North Carolina State University. He has a graduate degree in biblical studies from ACU and will receive his master's degree in conflict resolution from Lipscomb University soon. So, you know, Mitch, we may, may need to elevate his status in our Common Grounds group um, because we're, we're a people uh, making peace. Um, he was hired by Brooks Avenue Church of Christ back in 1981 to plant the Triangle Church of Christ in Durham, North Carolina. Just recently retired after serving 45 years as an evangelist teacher and shepherd, and now he is serving as a life coach. Uh, he's married to Jan. They've been married for 43 years got a lot of ministry experience, two kids, three grandchildren. He's a diehard Wolfpack fan. Mitch, welcome. Tell us just a little bit more about yourself and your interest in Common Grounds. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, John Teal and I have been friends for a long time, and uh, Kent Smith and I met a couple years ago in, uh, down in Clemson, uh, down in South Carolina, and learning a little bit more about small groups and house churches and so it's really an honor to be here and to be a part of this, and I uh, really look forward to uh, talking to Kent further since he and I have met, uh, read through Joy Fueled and uh, The Other Side of the Church by Jim Wilder and starting a book called The Spontaneous Expansion of the Church. So I feel like I'm learning more after being retired than I learned uh, while I was in the ministry, so maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> well, Mitch, we may have to have you back on to talk to you about your book and interview you. So thanks for <laughs> thanks for joining me today. And I want to give an introduction to our, our guest. Uh, Dr. Kent Smith has been the Karis Professor at Abilene Christian University and has taught there in the Graduate School of Theology since 1991. His teaching and research focus has been in the area of spiritual nurture systems, especially as they relate to new expressions of church. He directed ACU's graduate internship in missional leadership and has been a trainer for international mission teams for over 25 years with ACU's Halbert Institute of Missions. Ken and his wife Karen are founding members of the Eden Community and Kent's a co-founder of Luke 10. And we'll say more about that in our next podcast. He is also co-author of Joy Fueled, Catalyzing a Revolution of Joyful communities. Let me give you that title again, because you'll uh, want to pick it up after uh, you hear this podcast. It is Joy-Fueled, Catalyzing a Revolution of Joyful Communities. You get that book on Amazon or at other 
Christian booksellers. So, Kent, welcome. We're, we're so glad to have you with us today. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks so much, Kevin. It's a delight to be here. Real glad to be with you and Mitch and uh, have a chance to uh, visit about our book. Tell us just a little bit about yourself and how this book uh, came about. Well, you know, it's always risky to ask a guy 66 years old to uh, tell about how you got to anything uh, because there's always backstory, right? <laughs> yes. Right. Um, I uh, Probably one of the most helpful ways to, to ease into this conversation around joy fueled is to tell you a couple of uh, really significant events in my life in my early uh, growing up years. Uh, the first happened in my West Chicago high school uh, hallway one day when I was 16 years old. Uh, one of the school drug dealers walked up to me looking pretty angry, and he said, uh, Smith, do you really believe in God? And uh, I wanted to run. This guy was absolutely a, a wild man. He, A year earlier, he had given me my one tattoo. I've got I still bear it. Uh, uh, he punched me in a thigh with a, pen, a number two lead pencil and <laughs> just kind of random things like that were uh, sort of his uh, trademark. And so I had no idea what he was going to do, but I, I did manage to, to stay put and look him in the eye. And I said, uh, yes, I do believe in God. And what happened next just, uh, really amazed me. It surprised me, uh, because his eyes welled up with tears and he said, well, then why did God let my brother die in Vietnam last year. And he turned on his heels and walked away. Mm. He wasn't waiting for my answer, and I didn't have one as a 16-year-old. I don't want to have one now. But that question that he raised for me really um, gave language to a question that I've kind of lived with ever since. And the, the question is, what will it take for ordinary people in our time uh, to come to know God for who God really is. Um, and uh, that that occasion and others like it about that time in my life, my folks were um, church planters in the Chicagoland area. I think, uh, Kevin, you mentioned that you had uh, spoken at the Naperville Church of Christ. Well, uh, my dad and I and a couple other folks, I was uh, 16 or 15 at the time, but we helped plant the Naperville Church, and so mm. um, I was I was deeply interested in in how does this good news really come to people as good news, um, even in those days. But uh, that experience in high school uh, sent me on a quest to learn how to share my faith, and uh, so over the next uh, several years, I started mastering evangelism techniques. Uh, so some of you guys, old timers, will remember the Jewel Miller film strips. Uh, that was becoming a little uh, old even in those days. But uh, um, I learned the Roman Road. I learned uh, James K. Smith's evangelism explosion. I learned a bunch of ways to share my faith. And by the time I was a student at Harding, I was uh, I was a full on eager to share my faith evangelist and. I led a team of students from Harding up to the Pacific Northwest, and over one summer, um, six weeks or so, we uh, did good old-fashioned cold call evangelism, you know, knocking on doors, setting up Bible studies, 
six weeks, we baptized 26 people. Mm. Uh, inter- in- interestingly, uh, you guys may appreciate this. Uh, uh, Donna Blau, uh, Donna Ulm uh, at that time was my evangelism partner partner. So, uh, uh, but I came away from that summer just blown away with the, the power of the good news, you know, share faith, people hear it, they see it, they believe it, and, and they um, turn their lives to follow Jesus. And I kind of walked on clouds the, the next year, but um, the, uh, the following summer, I went back and I went to those same people that I had baptized the year before. And the front door would open, they would see who I was, their eyes would hit the ground, and um, pretty quickly I would learn that they were not happy to see me. Um, usually the, the message was something like this. You told us about an amazing new life that we would have um, when we followed Jesus. You told us about a family that would be with us forever, but you know, since you left, we haven't heard anything more from you and... Um, we haven't heard anything from our forever family, and we're frankly not interested. Mm. Wow. And uh, it was a kick to the gut. It was one of the most traumatic moments in my life um, when I realized that I had probably done more harm than good um, in sharing my faith in the way that I did without a way to follow that up with real, true Christian community. Um, and so, uh, that set me back to the drawing board and over the following years, as I finished a graduate degree in uh, in new Testament, um, I continued to kind of burn with that question. Um, and, uh, fast forward six years or so, and I'm in a, a ministry in a small church in Southern Wisconsin. And I meet a guy named, uh, John, who's a, who's an atheist and John's, bright guy, chemical engineer, um, and uh, not at all interested in God or anything related to God, but very interested in, as it turned out, um, canoe camping and uh, fishing. So John and I would take off for a, a few days and uh, hit the water on a weekend and uh, just had an amazing time together. Pretty soon I started inviting some of my buddies. I had a friend who is an airline pilot and another guy who worked with the city and uh, both of them were pretty new Christians, still working through big issues in their faith, struggling, uh, as we all all do. Um, but John enjoyed our company, and he would come with us. And about three years into that process, we're almost home one day, and uh, John's been kind of watching us even more closely in the last six months or so. And uh, he said, uh, Kent, you know, I, I love everything about you guys. I think I would be right in the middle of all that you're doing if I didn't have to put my brain in a basket to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so I said, well, fair enough, John. Thanks. Uh, thanks for kind of letting me know where you are. Um, but when we got home, I said, give me just a minute. And I ran in the house. I gave him, uh, picked up a copy of uh, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. And I said, John, take a look at this book. And if you want to talk about it, I'd love to visit with you. Um, and didn't hear anything from John for three weeks or so. And then one morning I got a call and it was, uh, um, Kent, uh, I'm ready to follow Jesus. When can I be baptized? Mm. <laughs> and, uh, he went on to become, uh, an amazing 
brother in the Lord and an important kingdom leader in that region. Um, and as I talked with John later, he said, you know, um, I, I did have real intellectual problems with Christianity, but by the time I had watched the way you guys were loving each other and loving the neighborhood and the people, um, in the, in the, in the town here, uh, it was so compellingly beautiful that I, I really wanted in. I just uh, needed a little information uh, so that I could make the decision to follow Jesus. So those three events um, have really framed a lot of my life because they, they led me on a journey from a, a, a way of um, seeing the good news in a very kind of narrow, uh, truncated way that I suspect all of us have experienced to, to, to beginning to understand that this story that God is inviting us into is at its heart a story of loving relationships, a story of the life of God, which is love, right? And um, so that is backstory for Joy Fueled, which um, is a book that was produced with uh, with my friends and collaborators in Luke 10, uh, John White and, and Tony Daniels. And uh, maybe I'll say a little bit more about that. But that's that's at least a little bit of the sort of the driver for me in writing this book um, as it goes back into my own story. So uh, I think that's a great backstory uh, to what I wanted to start with tonight was uh, right at the beginning of Joy Fuel, which I think is an excellent book, would highly recommend it to people. You say in chapter one. Uh, that research shows that 65 million Americans are done with church as most know it, but at least half of them are not done with God. Many of these are seasoned pastors, missionaries, church planners, elders, seminary professors, or church staff members. In a word, many of these people are leaders. So I'm just curious, Kent, uh, why do you think this is happening? And uh, how do you see in this book, how do you address these ideas uh, in this book and the, the problem that I think we all see of church not being this joyful family? Mm. Man, that's a huge question, Mitch. Um, you know, I think uh, anyone who's paying attention uh, these days would have to say we are navigating so many changes right now. So much change is transpiring across so many categories of our life and experience. Um, our, the, the fellow that wrote the forward for us is a wonderful demographer by the name of Josh Packard. And he observes that people aren't just leaving re religious institutions, they're leaving all institutions. Yep. Um, there is, you know, a, a, a deep loss of interest and availability for um, uh, institutional engagement and uh, I think that is part of what all the people that I know of who are working um, in uh, their attempts to share the life of God are struggling with is how do we reimagine what this this um, good news is beyond sort of an institutional embodiment or expression of it. Um, and that's not to say that there isn't some element of institution in, in anything that's organized at all. Um, but I think people are more and more suspicious of uh, institution, and they're more and more caught up in a deep longing for something that comes closer to the 
hunger of their hearts, which is to be connected deeply uh, in places where they can be seen, heard, understood, known, and loved. And uh, so I think that's a, a big part of, of where, where we are in world history right now, certainly in Western history and here in the United States. I think, um, I think Joy Field addresses that uh, by, uh, one, naming the problem, uh, the problem that so much of what we do is, is not driven by joy, um, and then reminding us that it's really uh, a pretty simple thing that God has invited us into. It's not easy, but it's very simple, and we can reclaim that uh, wherever we are if we decide to, if, if we choose to, and if we find um, a community that we can do it with. Back in chapters four and five, you, you address some themes that, having grown up in, in church life myself, I'm very familiar with. You, you address knowledge, something that we stressed heavily as a movement. Um, you know, people just, you know, knew uh, enough or knew the right things. They do the right things. Duty, obligation, and shame. And, and you, you address these as being inferior fuels um, to energize our, our, our spirit and our life, and yet fuels that are often used. C can you discuss some of these thoughts with us just a little bit and, and why we tend to default to these? Yeah, I, uh, and I, I think anyone who's been involved in congregational life has, has sought to serve the people of God for any period of time can remember those moments when you were just kind of at your wits end, right? You, you had done everything you knew to motivate people and still there was no one to take care of the nursery. <laughs> still the budget's fallen a little short again this month and how are we going to make this? And it's so, um, natural, I think for us to default to, um, sort of those more fundamental basic, um, command and control motivations as opposed to something that um, fuels the inner fire, inner passions of people and feeds that because that's harder. It takes more time and fundamentally it takes more relationship, more love. We, we have to really trust each other uh, to um, ignite the fuel of joy. Um, and so I think, you know, it's, it's easy to understand at one level that as love grows weak, uh, joy grows weak, and in the absence of love and joy, we're kind of left with really um, very basic approaches. Um, I, I remember when my son Blake was two or three, and there were occasions where um, uh, I would offer a strong word of counsel, let's say. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes he listened to me and sometimes he didn't. Um, and, uh, I remember on one occasion I, I told him, um, son, do not touch that part of the lawnmower. It's very hot. And he proceeded <laughs> to touch the muffler and burned his little hand. Mm. And, um, I, I didn't have time to, uh, reason with him or draw on his, uh, his deep trust of our relationship at that time. I just kind of, it was a demand, don't do this. And he ignored me and he suffered the consequences. I think the further along people are on the journey, the less they need that kind of motivation. There's a place for it, for sure. Um, early on in, in any relationship, and uh, 
sometimes we need we need to know what our duties and our obligations are but that's not fuel that sustains for the long haul and for people who are trying to do ministry as we point out in the book you know who maybe even entered into the life of of ministry or mission because of their great com- sense of the compelling need of the world or whatever if that's not underlaid with a deep delight in who God is, a deep joy in what it is that God has granted us as a free gift. If that's not um, driven by um, a deep love, we won't stay the course. We won't be able to uh, continue the the thing that God has given us to do. I was uh, having a conversation with one of the wonderful leaders of the Bruderhof communities uh, just shortly before he died, Christoph Arnold. And um, I was telling Christoph a little bit about some of our work with um, communities and building building meaningful communities. And uh, as a person who had lived his entire life working in the Bruderhof and uh, living a, an extraordinarily sacrificial life to to uh, to do that, he uh, he t- he asked me over breakfast with his family. He said, uh, "Can't you know what Jesus said uh, to the person who puts his hand to the plow? Don't you?" And, uh, and I said, uh, yeah, he said, um, no turning back. And Christoph smiled and he said, yes, no turning back. I mean, the invitation of God to us, to each one of us, is an invitation to put our hand to the plow. But what gives us the motivation to stay in that work, to keep plowing when it gets really, really hard? Because it does. You know, how do we stay the course um, and and our our uh, point in that part of the book is just well uh, ultimately you need to be able to get up in the morning even when things are really hard and know that um, this is well worth it because I'm loved I've been invited into a life that matters forever and even if it's hard there's joy in this um, and so um, I think that is. Uh, uh, is the invitation that the Lord offers us. As one of you said, um, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And uh, and Jesus, you know, that beautiful promise that he makes um, with the disciples um, uh, in John says, I I have come to give you my joy, that it might be that that you could have my joy and have it fully, completely. Um, So um, I think if we, if we, uh, invite people back to that news. It really is good news, both for um, both for those of us who are experiencing it and for those of us who are telling it and uh, inviting others into it, as my friend John saw. Uh, thanks, Kent. That's really, really good. This uh, next question that I have, uh, a very personal uh, conviction for me when I read the chapter five on Mission cannot be the organizing principle of the church. Uh, probably in my younger years, I might think that was heresy, <laughs> but not anymore. Uh, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. You know, I, I was in a part of our churches where, you know, Donald McGavern was definitely emphasized and church growth movement was emphasized and probably didn't even hear about the Alban Institute and the healthy church movement until my <laughs> middle 60s uh so uh being 68 here uh 
you know, the mission was the primary focus of the congregations that I was in. And uh, you mentioned John 13 through 17, uh, you know, the, the uh, lasting relationships that Jesus had and the joy fueled versus uh, my background was the famous last words were obviously Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Mm -hmm. uh, so can you talk to us a little bit about uh, what you're suggesting should be the organizing principle of the church and, and then how we should be thinking about mission? Because I know we're not giving up on mission, but I've definitely seen the struggles when the mission becomes the organizing principle of the church. So share with us a little bit there on chapter five. Yeah. Um, I'm, I've uh, just completed a chapter for a, for a book honoring a friend of mine in the and I begin the chapter with these three statements that I think are so important for us to get right. Um, the mission of God is the life of God. The mission of Jesus is the life of God on earth as it is in heaven. The mission of the community of Jesus is the life of God here and now. And this all follows from the essential truth that God is love. So there is a sense in which um, mission is at the heart if we understand mission as love. The problem is that all too often we don't, right? Right. I love I love what uh, Mike Breen says, and I'm going to quote this from our book because uh, Mike is uh, one of the leaders in the missional movement. And um, 15, 20 years into the process, Here's what he had to say recently. It's time we start being brutally honest about the missional movement that has emerged in the last 10 to 15 years. Chances are better than not, it's going to fail. That may seem cynical, but I'm being realistic. There is a reason so many movements in the Western church have failed in the past century. They are a car without an engine. A missional church or a missional community or a missional small group is the new car that everyone is talking about right now. But no matter how beautiful or shiny the vehicle without an engine, it won't go anywhere. We are a group of people addicted to and obsessed with the work of the kingdom with little to no idea how to be with the king. Many mm -hmm. church leaders unknowingly replace the transcendent vitality of a life with God for the ego satisfaction they derive from a life for God. And I just think that says it so well. It certainly says it well in terms of how I have often been motivated. Um, and I think his, his call to us to get honest is really important at this season because, um, you know, Jesus made it perfectly clear. I'm going to uh, work with the Greek a little bit in this next statement. He said, apart from me, you can do diddly squat. <laughs> yeah that's the country we, version i grew up on that version <laughs> we uh we are a car without an engine as breen says if we are if we think for a moment that we can get the work done for god without god we're simply profoundly misguided and I, yet I think that's often where we have been. And there is an ego-stroking piece to this that I think we have to be honest about. But uh, Jesus uh, can do unbelievable things 
through the most broken and weak of us if we let him be the one who leads, if we let him be the one who guides, and if we let his joy be that which motivates us. Um, but it, it comes down to, is this about Jesus or is this about me and my kingdom uh, under the name of Jesus? And uh, so anyway, I think, again, we're called back to something here that um, uh, challenges a whole lot of what's getting press all too often uh, in our world, and um, but uh, doesn't have to be the case. We can, we can get real, and I think it's time for us to do that. Kent, I've, I've got a question for you. Um, you, know, you know, when we think about just the, the theme of what you've written and what we've been talking about, um, in practical terms, you know, you wake up every day and you've got the day ahead of you and you've got the to-dos and maybe the things that are pressing down or the things that, you know, are potentially stealing your joy. You, you talk about being joy-fueled, joy being the fuel. How, how do you, just as an individual, how do you keep the, 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 the fuel of joy kind of there and present? What are some practices that fuel the joy, I'll say, for you? Yeah. And what would yeah, you recommend a, to us? That's a great question. Yeah. There's, so there's a, a, a several things that we talk about in our book. We've got in, in the Luke 10 community, that's one of the key things that we, that we focus on, even in our most uh, basic training, which we call Church 101. Um, but, you know, uh, gratitude is such a powerful, we're hearing more and more about it from all, all uh, directions these days. But when John and I began to, to do this work and we're looking for handles on just that, you know, how can we help people in a really simple way get a handle on stepping toward a life of joy? Um, one of the things that, that we uh, began to, to experiment with and ultimately found to be profoundly helpful is, is um, helping people begin to develop practices of expressing gratitude. And um, maybe I'll say more about that, but just one thing I would say is we begin all of our uh, community gatherings, um, whether it's um, our time when we're planning uh, any one of a number of different uh, areas of focus or ministry, um, or even when we're getting together just to fellowship, um, just about every time we get together, we take some time to do a, to do a, a, a check-in round. And the first thing we do is tell a gratitude story. So just noticing something in our life that we're grateful for uh, could be something recent or uh, something a while back um, but telling the story not just uh, this is what i'm grateful for i'm grateful for my family but i'm grateful for the chance i had the other night to sit down uh, in uh, 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 a beautiful little grassy area in uh, abilene and and listen to um, one of our granddaughters singing in her choir and um, just the, the beauty of the evening, the cool air, the, uh, sunset, uh, and the colors in the sky and those precious little voices, um, singing Christmas carols brought me great joy, mm. that kind of thing, you know? And, uh, if you do that and you make it a practice as opposed to something that would be nice to do once a year, maybe around dinner at Thanksgiving, but as a ongoing way of connecting, um, it opens, it opens all kinds of things. Um, you know, we know in the neuroscience world that, um, gratitude, 
um, turns on the relational circuits in our bodies, in our minds, and moves us from problem solving and uh, fear and flight uh, to seeing the people that are around us, connecting with people. And that's equally true in our relationship with God, right? So the psalmist didn't have to uh, get into brain scans to be able to say, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. Mm. I will enter his courts with praise. We we connect relationally through gratitude. And uh, so um, one little thing that I do personally is every morning when I get up, first thing out of the chutes, as, a, as the, kind of the opening of my time with the Lord, um, I write down three or four things that I'm really grateful for from the last day or two. Uh, it might be things that happened. It might be um, insights that I... Uh, discovered, uh, but but I find that by beginning there, I'm uh, I'm much more awake to the Lord who is present to me all the time, and in a better place to both uh, receive from and and enjoy uh, God's company. So um, there'd be a couple of quick thoughts on uh, ways that we can uh, start into this path of joy. Well, we're gonna come back to this theme in our next podcast and give you the opportunity to share more. Uh, Kent, it has been a joy to be with you, and uh, I've, I've so enjoyed the conversation and look forward to you returning for a second one. We're going to explore this theme further and then talk a little bit about Luke 10 and your work with Luke 10. Um, the book for our listeners, again, is entitled Joy-Fueled, Catalyzing a Revolution of Joyful Communities. Uh, Kent, who is the publisher that people should look for on this? Uh, Luke 10 Publishing is is the uh, publisher, and we okay. hope that this will be the first of um, five books in the near future here. It, on the back of the book, it says, in joy-fueled, you'll discover three practices that build the joy necessary to go the distance, foster uh, mature relationships, and overflow into a life of mission. Church as it was meant to be. I think that would... Uh, excite all of our listeners. So I encourage our listeners to pick up the book. We'll pick up the conversation next week. Mitch, good to have you with us. And thanks Great for joining us. Thank look you forward very to, much. Yeah, I look forward to being back with you again for our next podcast on this. So folks, join us again next week. We're going to have Kent Smith back with us and we'll pick up the conversation from, from there. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. There are plenty of resources, and you can subscribe to the weekly email articles, join the Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. We've also provided a link in the show notes for comments. You can ask questions or suggest topics and guests. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do that too through the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.